we are as part of this Christmas series, we're looking at some of those just kind of strange things that we do as part of this time of year, lights on the trees, right, unicorns in our front yard, inflatable, but they've got a, they're holding a Christmas tree, so it counts, you know, just crazy stuff like that. Last week, we looked at other, like, in other countries, weird stuff they've got, people going to, like, saunas together as a family on Christmas Eve, and just weird stuff like that. And so I asked you guys last week, hey, I want to know what weird traditions you guys have. So how many of you, most of you did not do this, but how many, raise your hand, you have a little bit of a weird Christmas tradition. I'm not going to bring you on stage, all right, so, but just be honest. You have just some weird stuff that's just your family, maybe you don't even want anybody to know about. Okay, all right, see, so there are some of you. So here are a couple of them that we, that we got. So there was one young lady, and I won't mention her name just to protect her, not that it really matters, but she says that one of our weird traditions is that we had to make 12 different dishes for Christmas Eve and eat each one of them a little bit. That way you have luck for the entire year. So her, she says her grandmother would make all 12 on Christmas Eve and they would have to sample each one and somehow that would give you good luck, which might be a Christmas tradition that you want to adopt for your family because it means more eating and most of us don't do that anyway. So um, that was one tradition. Here was another one. And, our, and this is one of our leaders. And I'm not going to name this leader, but we love this leader. She's amazing and awesome. So her family has a Christmas tradition and they actually have named it. It's called Christmas Saurus. <laughs> and they even have T-Rex noises like that. So here's what she says. She says they started this with their son when he was three as a way to unplug from the Christmas craziness and spend time together. So they named it Christmasaurus. Actually, their son named it Christmasaurus. And so they have Christmasaurus T-shirts, like dinosaur stuff. They have a T-Rex outside in their front yard. They even have a cheer, a dinosaur cheer. Which uh, would be fun if we brought her on stage right now and let her do that. But we won't. So she says, we start Christmas stores eat with a fancy dinner and usually drive around to see lights in our jammies and blare Christmas music. We do all sorts of fun activities over the weekend like go to Six Flags, Botanical Gardens, something downtown. We watch Christmas movies and eat cookies. We have snack dinner on Christmas Christmasaurus day. And it is the culmination of the weekend. So anybody want to adopt Christmas source for their family? You get to eat stuff. Mom and dad take you to Six Flags, right? What is, what's wrong with this? You even have a cheer and you can buy memorabilia or merchandise or whatever. So there's a couple of crazy Christmas traditions that, uh, that some of you guys have. And uh, I'd love to hear more of them. All right, even if we don't share them, I'd love to be able to know what kind of weird stuff you've got or strange things you do. So that's part of the, of the Stranger Things series, but it's not just that. The main thing that we're looking at as part of this series is the strange aspects of the Christmas story. So we're trying, as part of the series, we're trying to figure out why was Jesus born in a cave and not in a palace? Why is it that shepherds were invited to see baby Jesus and not kings or noble people? And there are so many things that don't make sense if you and I were the ones that were writing the story. We would change so much of it. And so hopefully, as over the last couple of weeks, you've been able, and all of us have been able to see what God is up to and be able to, to even look at these strange aspects and be able to understand the reasoning behind it and why God chose to do it that way. And so if you felt that way at any point, you've gone, all right, that's weird, that's strange, that's different, but now I understand that. I'm really, 
getting a sense for what God is, is doing here as he's writing this story. If you feel that, and hopefully all of us do, then hopefully that will really quick w- click with what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, as we start tonight, I want to start by asking you this question, and I want a moment of honesty, okay? So again, I'm not going to pull you up on stage. You're not going to have to elaborate this question or anything like that. But in a moment of honesty, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever had a moment in your life where you've doubted that God could use you. If, if you say that's me, you've ever had a moment in your life you've doubted, could God really use me? All right, there's a lot of us. My hand goes up. So the, there's a lot of us, which is good, because I think this story is going to resonate with, with those of us especially who have felt that. And maybe it's because of, maybe it's your lack of belief in yourself. Maybe it's some sin that's in your past. Or maybe it's you just feeling like other people were more qualified than you. But whatever the reason, we, we, I think we all do, if we're honest. We all have times in our life where we wonder if we're cut out for God's work. And so if you've ever felt that, then you are going to be able to relate so much to a young girl that's in the very middle of this strange Christmas story. If you guys have your Bibles tonight, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 1. The last couple of weeks, we've been primarily in Luke chapter 2. So now we're going a little bit further back in the story. All one chapter. So starting in verse 26, and here is what the writer says. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. She was Mary's cousin. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now let's stop right there for just a minute. So we've got another angel sighting here, right? But this angel is not going, it's actually happened months ahead before the angel appeared to the shepherds the night of Jesus' birth. All right, in this case, the angel actually shows up to begin preparation for Jesus' birth. And he shows up to this young girl named Mary. Now, a little bit of understanding about Mary and her name. The name Mary commonly means exalted. All right, that's what one of the, the definitions of Mary's name means. And that's actually how the angel greets her. He calls her favored woman and he tells her that God is with her. Now, if you read this and just kind of unpack it a little bit, like it's, it's almost as if the angel is preparing her for some crazy news. Right? It's almost like the angel is going, hey, you better sit down for this because you're about to hear something crazy. You're about to get some pretty dramatic, incredible, unbelievable things that are going to be told to you. All right, it's almost like the angel saying, but don't look, don't freak out. All right, 
this is crazy, sit down, but don't freak out because you are favored in the eyes of God. God is with you. Okay, it's almost like the angel's kind of, kind of preparing her for like, oh, by the way, here's what's taking place. But he calls her favored. He says God's with her. And Mary actually at this point is around 15 years old at the time. Now that actually is the age in which ladies in that day and time were going to get married. Any 15-year-old ladies ready to get married tonight? <laughs> or a 15-year-old guy? Okay. So all the, all the 15-year-old guys are ready to get married. The ladies are like, no thanks. All right. So, so put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a minute. All right. She's 15 years old. And she's about to get married. So if you were about to get married, there's probably a little bit of stress that you're feeling right now. Right? Much less than when you're 22, 25, 30. When you're 15, like that's a whole lot of a bigger deal. What is about to happen? What am I getting myself into? So she's probably already stressed out. And then an angel shows up and tells her that she's going to have a baby. Right? Like that doesn't add any stress to the whole thing. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just some ordinary baby. This baby that you're going to give birth to is going to be the savior of the world. Right? He's going to be called the son of God and he's going to reign over Israel forever. Right? It's a good thing that I had you sit down, Mary, before I told you that. Because this is big news and you're 15 years old and you're, you've already got a lot on your shoulders. Let me go ahead and add to it. Right? I mean, imagine what Mary's feeling in this moment. So then Mary asks the million dollar question in verse 34. Listen to what she says. So Mary asks the angel... But how can this happen? I am a virgin. Mary's no dummy. Right? Mary understands where babies come from. Hey, Mr. Angel, how can I have a baby when I haven't had sex yet? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Let me kind of explain how this is going to take place. Right? Now, notice Mary asked this question. Mary is not in this moment. She's not doubting this. She's leaning in trying to understand more about this news that this angel is coming to tell her. So the question that she's asking is not like, yeah, right, you're full of crap. This is not going to take place. She's actually asking this, trying to understand more about what the angel is telling her, which is a a pretty big difference. So verse 35, the angel continues. The angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Now for us to really understand, I think fully what, how strange this is and how incredible this is, we got to understand a little bit more about Mary. Here's the thing about Mary that we understand from reading this and just understanding her background. There was nothing unique about her. She was a typical 15-year-old girl. 13, 15, in that range. Right? She was a common, ordinary girl. Mary was not perfect. She wasn't supernatural. 
She was not and is not some kind of deity that I know, you know, Catholics and other people will have kind of made her into. All right? that wasn't, that's not Mary. That's not who she was or who she is. Now, the, the interesting thing about her is, is she was about to become royalty. Because as the angel says, and the story tells us, she was about to get married to Joseph, who was in the line of King David. So Mary was about to marry into royalty. She was going to become royalty. But she was poor and lowly in the world's eyes. There was nothing special. There was nothing incredible. There was nothing unique about Mary at all. She was from Nazareth, which was a remote village that was not known at all for educational standards, was not known as some great vacation destination. Like nobody really talked about Nazareth as, Nazareth as this great place that people wanted to go to or that these great people came out of. Like Nazareth, just like Bethlehem, was just kind of a, it was a small village. It was a hole in the wall. It was like a remote place. It wasn't, there wasn't anything great about it. In other words, there was nothing about Mary that said she was worthy of being used by God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. There was nothing about Mary that in the world's eyes said that she was worthy of being used by God. And that's probably why she was so confused when the angel came to her in the first place. Wait, what are you talking about? It says she was confused and disturbed and trying to understand a little bit more. Like, what, what is this stuff that you're telling me? Like, I'm, number one, I'm not used to angels coming and visiting me. But number two, I'm, I'm not, I don't really see myself as being favored by God or that I'm chosen by God or I'm this great special person in the eyes of God. It wasn't necessarily that she thought she was a loser, but she didn't walk around from her reaction feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm worthy in the eyes of God to be, to be great. She saw herself as just an ordinary 15-year-old girl. But she was an ordinary 15-year-old girl that God looked at and said, I'll use her to carry out my work. Now, I don't know that you and I are all that different from Mary. All right, you may be a guy and not a, not a girl. All right, you may be 18 and not 15. But I think all of us, in a lot of ways, can relate to Mary and her situation and what she was feeling in those moments when the angel came and visited her. You and I are not perfect. We're definitely not supernatural. You and I are ordinary, broken people that God has redeemed, that God has made royalty because of our relationship with him. And that who God looks at it in love and he says, I'll use them to carry out my work. And I love how the angel finishes this section when he says, look, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God, even using a common, ordinary 15 or 16 or 18 or 38-year-old person that somebody looks at and in the world's eyes feels like there's nothing to them. Nothing's impossible for God, even for me, to use somebody like them. And Jesus wants to use us to help the broken. He wants to use us to serve those in need. 
He wants to use us to help change the world with the message of the gospel. Which is incredible news for any of us whose hands have gone up in the air at the beginning and said, yeah, I've, all, I've, I've had moments or a lot of times in situations in my life where I've doubted that God could use me. And what an incredible thought to know through the eyes of Mary and through what happens in this story to see and understand that God's looking at us and saying, yeah, there's nothing special or unique about you, but I've created you and I love you and I can use you and want to use you to carry out my work. See, the shepherds last week, they saw God at work. But the difference between them and Mary is that Mary was invited to be part of God's work. Right? The shepherds were invited in. They got a front row seat to watch God do his thing. But Mary, all of a sudden, with this news is going, God, you're going to use me to carry this out. And the amazing thing for us is that not only does God invite us to see him at work, but he takes it a step further and he says, yeah, but I want to use you to be a part of my work. I don't care how common or ordinary you are. I don't care how limited you think you are. I don't care what sin may be in your past that I can't overcome. I don't care that the fact that you look at other people and feel like they would be a whole lot better used by me. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm looking at you and all of your deficiencies and your weaknesses and the things that you feel like may be a barrier for me to use you. And none of that matters because nothing is impossible with me. And that's the incredible news that we see in the story from Mary. I don't know about you, but I, f- I feel that every single day. I mean, does that feel at all strange to you? We just, we get used to Mary, right? Mary, Virgin Mary, she's in the story, she's in some songs, Mary, did you know, yada, yada. I mean, we, we know these songs, we know the traditions, like we've heard about it, but do we actually stop and think and go, And there's no way Mary was cut out for this. She had everything stacked against her. And God overcame it all. And you may feel like you have everything stacked against you. And God can overcome it all. As a high school pastor, taking the dress out of the equation, right? There have been a lot of moments where I felt like, God, can you use me? I mean, God, am I, am I really cut out to be the husband you've called me to be? God, am I really cut out to be the father you've called me to be? God, am I really cut out to be the high school pastor, to be the leader that you've called me to be? God, am I really cut out for this? And God looks at me and he says, yes, you're exactly who I want to use. And God looks at you and he says, you're exactly who I want to use. What an amazing thought that God wants to use us in that way. See, Mary's role in the Christmas story reminds us that God wants to use ordinary people to carry out his extraordinary purposes. All right, if you don't remember anything else that I said tonight, all right, remember that. Write it down, whatever you got to do. Mary's role in the Christmas story reminds us that God wants to use ordinary people to carry out his extraordinary purposes. But the story isn't quite done. 
Because the truth is there really is only one thing that stands in our way of being used by God. It's what our response is to God in those moments where he invites us to be a part of his work. Do you and I respond in disbelief and doubt? Or do we respond like Mary did in verse 38? Listen to what she says. After the angel has given this insane news, this crazy stuff that that she's going to be a part of, verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. How crazy is that response? Again, put yourself in Mary's shoes. If there was, were any, was any reason whatsoever to doubt, Mary had a lot of them. She had a lot of reasons to doubt. Right? I mean, could an angel show up and tell you any news that would be more incredible, more unbelievable than what he's telling Mary in these moments? See, I think what's amazing about Mary's response and the thing that we can pull out of her is there wasn't anything incredible or unique about her. But what was pretty incredible was her response to the angel. Because how many of us would say, all right, God, cool, yeah, whatever, whatever you need, God, my, my, my life is on the table, my life belongs to you, whatever you want me to do, I'm your servant, may it come true as you've said it. Or, more often is our response like, ah, no, wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second, God. I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I'm cut out for this. Man, God, do, do it with somebody else. Like, use somebody else. No, God, here's, and we start laying out all of these excuses and reasons why we couldn't do that. Or why, I mean, I, I, I choose not to believe this. Or I choose to doubt that I'm worthy enough. Or whatever, fill in the blank. And Mary had all of the opportunities and all of those same excuses that she could have used. And she gave the incredible response back. I'm your servant. All right, God, whatever you want from me, I'll do it. Would that be your response? Would that be my response? In those moments where God invites us to be a part of his work. Because that is one of the few things, maybe the only thing that will stand in the way of being used by God. Do we believe that he can accomplish that through us? Or do we doubt it? Because in those moments of doubt, if we dismiss it and we go and do our own thing and God goes, all right, I'll go find somebody else. And because Mary was willing to put all those excuses aside and say, all right, God, whatever you want, she became a central part of the most incredible story that's ever been told. Have you begun to notice a theme in the the last couple weeks? as we've been unpacking this series a little bit. A humble savior born in a small cave in a small village and outcast shepherds that were invited to attend and this common, 
ordinary, nothing special girl who's brought into the spotlight to be the mother of the Savior of the world. I don't know if it seems more strange after really understanding this, or is it beginning to make sense that God doesn't always operate the way that we do? And I think here's, here's the last thought as we close up tonight. Our job is not to conform, to conform God to how we would do things, but to conform ourselves to how God wants to do things. So when we look at this and we're like, no, this doesn't make sense. I would do this differently or whatever. And we start to understand that God's ways are different than our ways. God doesn't operate a lot of times the way that you and I would operate. And our responsibility is not to conform God to the way that we feel like things should be done. The way that we get to be a part of the work is when we conform what we think to what God wants to do. And if we're willing to do that, we get a chance to be a part of his plan. And that's the plan that involves using broken and ordinary people to carry out his extraordinary purposes. Let's pray together. God, I don't know how this resonates with students tonight, but God, so much of this just, it hits me right between the eyes. I just, I think about all those moments where I've just felt unworthy or unqualified that I just wasn't cut out for your work. God, I know that, that there are so many of us in the room, students, leaders, that feel, have, have felt or feel the same way. God, I thank you for giving us a, a story and a character like Mary who plays such a key part, a central part in this story. And that you looked around and you saw that common ordinary girl and you said, yes, that's the one. God, there is so much of your work that's all around us that you're looking at us and you're saying, yeah, that's the one. That's the one that I want to use. God, I pray that you would enable us to put all those excuses and reasons of, of why we can't do that aside. And you would give us the faith that Mary had that just says, may it be done as you say. God, I believe that you want to raise up an army, a generation of students who in spite of knowing that they're common or ordinary or that maybe there's nothing special, but believing because of who you are in them, that there is something special and incredible and extraordinary that can and will take place if they'll trust you. God, I pray that you would raise up so many students who would be willing willing to say, count me in no matter what. And that you would allow them to be a part of your work in the world. God, we love you and we thank you. God, I pray if students are in the room tonight who have never trusted you as, as their savior, who have never come to a moment where they've understood that their sin separates them from you, 
and they've never received that forgiveness that you came to offer. God, I pray that they would do that tonight. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.